What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the show, we are going to have our USFL Player of the Week interview with Birmingham Stallions quarterback Alex Magoo. Very much looking forward to that. But first, let's talk about Oklahoma and Texas, but not in 2023. In 2024, because last week, the SEC decided to unveil its 2024 schedules for all 16 of its members come the 2024 season. As it is summer, as we are gearing up for college football, this feels like the perfect time for the SEC to tell us who's going to play who, where they're going to play, and for them to kind of counter-program against the Big Ten who did that the week earlier, and we talked about it here on the show, but in a kind of twist, we're going to talk about Oklahoma and Texas in particular because, well, I'm an Oklahoma guy. You know this. You know this very well. And by being an Oklahoma guy, I also kind of am very interested in what Texas is doing, but for an entirely different reason, right? We want to know, does Texas have a better draw than Oklahoma? Maybe. We also want to see just where we are expected to see these games and what this means in 2024. So let's start with this, right? The SEC ensured that all 14 of its members pick up a shift against Oklahoma or Texas, which also means that we're taking a, we're taking trips to and from all of these venues if you're Oklahoma and Texas over the next two years because they're going to finish their final season in the 2023 season uh, in Big 12 country. And then we got our traditional rivalries that you take care of. OU, Texas, Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Alabama, Tennessee. I'm sure Tennessee fans are very excited about that. Texas A&M remains, you know, with these popular matchups that, you know, they end up getting like Arkansas and South Carolina. I'm joking about South Carolina. Going to be a lot of jokes about South Carolina today. Alabama, LSU is intact. Texas, Arkansas is intact. Florida, Tennessee is intact. LSU, Florida is intact. Georgia, Tennessee is intact. And LSU, Ole Miss is intact. Now, where I think this gets interesting is, as you know, the Big Ten chose to go with what it calls the Flex Protect Plus program, which feels like the kind of thing that Billy Mays might sell me late at night in infomercial. And the SEC decided we're going to stick with an eight-game schedule. We're going to stick with an eight-game schedule, and we're going to tell everybody that they have to play at least one Power 5 school outside of conference, but they can keep their FCS opponents. Now, what this means for SEC scheduling purposes is that you get just one permanent opponent and you rotate through the other 15, which means you get to play everybody, but you only got that one regular opponent that you're going to see each and every year. Now, eventually in Oklahoma, uh, excuse me, eventually Oklahoma and Texas will receive the same prestige, you know, that comes with being a blue blood in the SEC. But right now, it feels like Oklahoma got the short stick and Texas got the good stick. Now, I also am going to take this time to just mention right off the top that the highest revenue uh, generating the college athletic departments 2022 is out, right? According to 247, we're talking about Ohio State at number one, then Texas at two, then Alabama at three, Michigan at four, Georgia at five, okay? So that's four teams that have played in the college football playoff in the last college football playoff era, right? And we're talking about Texas. And then you go down the list, it's LSU, it's A&M, it's Gators in Florida, it's Oklahoma, that's your top 10, right? Penn State, is the only other program inside the top 10, which means you're moving into the rich neighborhood if you're Oklahoma and Texas. And wins are not going to be cheap, which is how we're going to start talking about Oklahoma's schedule. Okay? Wins are not going to be cheap. I've been saying this since they announced that they were departing the Big 12 to leap to the SEC two years ago, saying, hey, guys, 
I like winning 10, 11, 12 games a season. It's nice. I like renting a room both in the Big 12 championship and in the college football playoff. It's nice. To which most Oklahoma fans were like, well, if we're in the SEC, we have a better chance of making the playoff. Not necessarily, because you're adding two more to that 14-team lead that's already pretty damn stout. Ask Tennessee about making the college football playoff. After beating Bama, I might add, right? Putting together that Orange Bowl-level season where they beat Clemson in the Orange Bowl with Joe Milton. But let's start with positive here. Oklahoma and Texas is still going to get played in Dallas, right? And as I'm ranking these matchups on the schedule— That's still number one for me. OU Texas is always going to be number one and the one that I look forward to the most. Now, what I think is most interesting about this Oklahoma schedule isn't necessarily that they're going to keep playing Texas. It isn't even that they're going to play Tennessee at home, which, well, we're here now. I'm excited about that game. I'm excited about that game because it means they get another chance to bloody the sports loudest orange. I love that so much. Those colors clash so well, it's brilliant. But this time, it's likely to be, well, one of their own running the volunteers, right, in Josh Eipel, Oklahoma's own, right? And then he's going up against Brent Venables. Now, I might also add, Josh Heupel has had a pretty damn good career so far, right? We're talking about a guy that beat Nick Saban at Oklahoma with Trevor Knight at quarterback. I don't know of anybody else that could have done that. And we're also talking about a man that beat Nick Saban as a head coach of Tennessee and would like nothing more than to walk into his old stomping grounds as the last quarterback to lead Oklahoma to a national championship and beat Oklahoma with the Tennessee Volunteers to say nothing of what Joe Milton may or may not do in 2023. Will remain to be seen whether or not he'll be around in 2024, but I doubt it, right? Because that dude has first-round draft pick written all over him because all you got to do is look at him, watch him work out, and say, okay, we'll fix the rest of it. But there's also a lot to go in here because Josh Heupel and Brent Venables are pals, right? One was defensive coordinator. One was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, right? One of those guys helped raise the other guy. Brent Venables was an assistant coach helping to coach and recruit one Josh Heupel to Oklahoma in Norman. And they have, I think, a lot of really good history to go on. Now, I'm excited about that game because I think it's going to feature two five-star quarterbacks right in Jackson Arnold and Nico Iamalevia at Tennessee. But I'm also excited about it because it is the marquee matchup, I think, for Oklahoma this season or in 2024 in as far as what they get in Norman. Now, number three, or excuse me, number one on the list, I'm already out of order here. I had OU Texas at one. I had Oklahoma, Tennessee at two. At number three, I got Oklahoma and Alabama. Okay. Now, I can back this one up by saying... It ain't always gone well when Oklahoma plays Alabama, even as Oklahoma still has a winning record against Alabama. Since Nick Saban has taken over the program, yeah, okay. Oklahoma won the Sugar Bowl, and I gloated about it, thought it was a harbinger of things to come, the thing I was talking about with Josh Heupel having won that game. And then the Orange Bowl happened in 2018 with the best quarterback that Oklahoma's ever had in Kyler Murray, who went for 300 passing, went for 100 rushing, and still came out bloody and dirty. Because the Joe Moore awarded-winning offensive line could not keep him safe from Quentin Williams destroying him. I might also add, this is a game in which Tulsa's own Josh Jacobs trucked, ran over, Peterbilt, won Robert Barnes in this game. Basically saying this is who Alabama is, this is who Oklahoma is. We also got the infamous Josh Jacobs being asked, hey, would you like 
to get some oxygen and him looking up like, man, I don't need no oxygen. It's Oklahoma over there. That's how they feel about us. Now, getting them into Norman may change some things, but I doubt it. Now, the thing that I have learned most about Nick Saban and Alabama is it doesn't matter who's on the roster for Nick Saban at Alabama. They're going to be competitive. They get to say we had a down year in a year where they won 11 games and beat the Big 12 champion Kansas State Wildcats like they stole something in the Sugar Bowl. Now, on top of all of that, you don't have a whole bunch to go on if you're an Oklahoma fan in 2024, except that you get to say you play in the SEC. And that means now you're getting into the SEC part of the schedule for me. And number four in my rankings of this schedule, you got Oklahoma traveling to Tiger Stadium in what is the Southeastern Conference's Death Valley because the real Death Valley is still in Clemson. Fight me. Oklahoma owes LSU a whooping for a little game in Atlanta in 2019 that nobody watched and I assure you no, nobody cared about. There was not much going on that day, but you might have checked the box score in your local paper and saw that it was 63 to 28. You might have also noticed that Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who has the most Bayou name of all Bayou name tailbacks to ever go to LSU, might have been one of the greatest teams of all time. I don't know. You weren't paying attention. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, who could tell? I can't remember. I only know that that was in Atlanta, and now Oklahoma has to travel to Baton Rouge to play an LSU team that is coached by Brian Kelly that feels like the kind of team that is like every Brian Kelly team basically since he took over Notre Dame, just a win or two away from playing in the national championship. I mean, quite as it is kept, they are the defending SEC West champs, which means they beat the Alabama team that I'm not excited about seeing come to Oklahoma to play in 2024, except to say maybe, maybe. Going into that game, you feel some kind of way, and you are able to get one back, but we'll see how that goes. I mean, playing down in Tiger Stadium in that swamp, it, it's it's tough go. And then, my goodness, you're at Auburn, right? That's also on Oklahoma's schedule. Now, they played this game just twice, and both of those were Sugar Bowls, 1971 and 2016, and the Sooners are 2-0. But I think Auburn has an ace in the hole that we just – don't talk enough about because, well, the last place you saw him was Tulsa. Philip Montgomery is the office coordinator at Auburn for Hugh Freeze. Why is this important? Not because of what Philip Montgomery was able to do at Tulsa, although I would say if you look around, you you got a Bednarik Award winner and a first-round pick at off uh, at outside linebacker, and then you have a first-round pick on your offensive line, Tyler Smith, you're doing pretty damn good, right? But for what Philip Montgomery did at Baylor, you'll remember – when Art Browse's Baylor offense was humming, it's Philip Montgomery who was calling the plays. That is what Hugh Freeze hired. He hired the guy that was leading an offense that put up six, 700 yards on people like it was nothing. That had Corey Coleman back there. That had, my goodness, we keep going down the list. Bryce Petty was back there. Shock Linwood was back there. They had dues, and I think you're going to be able to get that caliber of guy at Auburn because if you get that caliber of guy, no, I mean, not be too unkind about it, but at Baylor, you can certainly do that at Auburn. And I think if you take a look at what they have coming in, you can feel good about Auburn going into that game in 2024. Next on the list for me is Oklahoma at Ole Miss. Now, is Faulkner taking snaps? Is John Grisham? No. Then, then I think this is going to be a game for which you and I might get up for because being at Ole Miss is one thing, right? I like going to Oxford because I like taking a look around. I like being able to yell hotty toddy at the Grove. But 
this is a game that I think Oklahoma should feel good about, even as Lane Kiffin has taken in, I kid you not, a quarterback who reclassified after his freshman year high school to join the program this season. That means that they got perhaps four guys that could start football games at Ole Miss over the next two years, and one of them is Spencer Sanders. One of them is Walker Howard. One of them is Jackson Dart. You keep going down the list here. You can feel good about that before we get to Quinshawn Judkins, who is going to be going into his draft eligible year in 2024, and that's going to be a loaded tailback. Now, Oklahoma versus South Carolina, like when y'all said that OU was playing USC next year, I thought y'all meant something different. I mean, you know, I know Javion, our social maven here, is the South Carolina fan and alumnus, but I mean, that game looks to me a lot like Rutgers at USC. You know, I, I didn't I didn't ask for this, but it is on the schedule. Kind of like AM having to play South Carolina for all those years. Who asked for this? It doesn't make that much sense. However, Shane Beamer being the head coach at South Carolina is important because Shane Beamer was offensive assistant at Oklahoma before taking that job. Spencer Rattler will likely be gone by the time they get to play this game, but you get the Oklahoma ties here and you can make this work if you got to write an advance for it in the paper. And as far as trying to sell it to a bunch of people that don't want to watch it, you're selling it mostly to Gamecock and Oklahoma fans when you want to be selling a national game. Now, the last one here, Oklahoma at Missouri. Again, who asked for this? I'm sure it was Missouri that asked for this, right? Because Oklahoma would not. Now, Oklahoma's won 67 or 96 meetings between these two schools, which I think is funny. And that's including all the ties. I think I think there are five ties in that series. But basically what I'm saying here is Oklahoma and Texas A&M was right there. And the SEC said, OU, here's Missouri, South Carolina, and Ole Miss. The problem with this is OU could run this week's schedule. Like, if you get past Alabama, you get past Tennessee, you ought to feel good about playing the SEC championship. That also means that it may be the most SEC thing they've ever done, which is put together a so-so regular season schedule, put together some really bad non-conference games and maybe one middling non-conference game, and you end up in the SEC championship game. But it has worked for SEC teams, and now that Oklahoma gets to claim it's an SEC team, maybe it'll work for them too. I think, however... When you look at Texas' schedule, you're going to feel a little bit better if you're a Longhorn fan about this, and you're going to get in your feelings like me if you're an Oklahoma fan about this because at the top for them, I got OU, Texas, and Dallas because it's OU, Texas. They've been playing that game since 1900. The last time this, uh, the Longhorns like, were this good, I think from a roster standpoint, was actually last year. So if they continue to get better and you get the first coming of Arch Manning, Feel good about that, too. Jackson Arnold playing that game. You feel good about that. It's a neutral side game, but that's also the reason why Texas has four home games and Oklahoma just has three. So when this game is going to be played, Oklahoma is designated as the home team, which is why you only get three home team, home games there. But, I mean, we're also talking about Quinn Ewers is in year three. I doubt that he makes it to year four if they play well, if he plays well this season. And they still got guys. I mean – Recruiting against Texas is always going to be a problem if you are recruiting in the state of Texas because Texas is always going to get what they want. But for them, they ought to sell out every game that they have no matter who that is that they're playing because the schedule breaks that well. Number two on the list for me, Texas versus Texas A&M might be the best TV game that we get all of 2024 because they have not played that game since 2011. And that game used to be one of the biggest rivalry games on the calendar, ranking up there with Ohio State-Michigan, right, with USC-UCLA, 
with Auburn, Alabama. It's important, right? And when they decided not to play it anymore, it hurt all of our feelings because, well, I'm an Oklahoma fan, so I ain't got no sides in it. I like watching them beat up on whomever it is, A&M or Texas. But that's real bragging rights in the state of Texas for people that went to school in the state of Texas. Like you pick a side, even if you didn't go to A&M and you didn't go to UT. If you went to Houston, you got a side here. Now, I also think it's interesting in that this is going to be the 119th time that these two teams have played, even with this stretch of more than a decade of not playing against each other. And to put in perspective how long ago it was when Texas and Texas A&M last played, Justin Tucker kicked the game-winning field goal to beat A&M at College Station the last time they played this game. And Justin Tucker has kicked the longest field goal in NFL history since then, right? Alabama also gets Texas uh, in Tuscaloosa as well as Georgia (laughs) this season, which I thought was interesting. So they got Alabama. Alabama's got Texas and Georgia in the same year, I think, that uh, along along with Oklahoma. Goodness me. Alabama, maybe Nick Saban shouldn't have said what he thought the schedule was going to be. Because now that he's got the schedule that, well, everybody wants to see Alabama play, frankly. Number three on the list for me in this Texas 2024 schedule, Texas versus Georgia is an easy one. It's on the 40 acres. Seems like forever ago when Sam Ellinger told a stadium full of folks in New Orleans, we're back following a win in the Sugar Bowl against UGA. But it turns out that, uh, well, he was a little bit too far over that Bronco at the rodeo because since then, Texas has gone 7-3, got their head coach fired, hired the new head coach, went 5-7, and seven, and then got, watched a small private school in Fort Worth playing the national title game in the college football playoff era before they did. This also feels like the schedule that Steve Sarkeesian is hoping to get to, right? Because if you do well enough in the Big 12 – You'll get an opportunity to really show what you're made of as the head coach of Texas in what should be your best year as head coach at the University of Texas. Now, Texas is four and one against Georgia, which is a fact that is probably catching you off guard like it's catching me off guard. Texas was great, was great against almost everybody, though, in the Dana Bible and the Daryl Royal eras. And that's why they look to have such a dominant record against almost everybody that they play. Okay, so number four here. Going from there to, from my goodness, from Georgia to Arkansas, which is a game that I really was excited to see back on the schedule. I don't know that Arkansas hates Texas the way that Arkansas hates Texas A&M, but I can tell you they don't feel good about it. And the same is true of Texas. They don't like having to go up just a little bit further north into what is actually the country to go play a football game, but I'm excited about that one anyway. Texas versus Florida is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Texas versus Kentucky is probably going to be okay. That game has only been played once, 1951, and the Longhorns won that one, 7-6 in Austin. Number seven, my goodness, Texas versus Mississippi State just feels awkward. And then Texas at Vanderbilt feels like, I'm never going to be on board with Texas getting to play Vanderbilt. I understand it's an SEC opponent. I understand that you're going to play all 15 of your SEC opponents, but when I looked at this schedule and I saw that Texas uh, is playing Kentucky, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Florida, I wondered out loud, did they get to pick this schedule? Did, 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 did they get to put this together? I know they didn't, but that's how it feels when I see you get to play at Vanderbilt. You should have to play that game at home, at least with this schedule in 2024, because then it feels like maybe, maybe somebody else was thinking about how we might see Texas getting to go to Vanderbilt while hosting Georgia. 
it yeah, it's it's all over the map here. But I think that this is going to work out really well for Oklahoma and Texas, given what the landscape of college football has looked like, given what the SEC has meant to the sport basically since 2004 when Auburn went undefeated. And we're going to get the two best teams, I think, from the Big Ten, the two best teams from the SEC, regardless of whatever playoff structure we have. Now that we're in 12 teams, probably looking at three to four from each one of these conferences because they're still going to do this for the most part on who they think looks good. And you'll know that that's a thing that Nick Saban cares very much about. My team looks better than their team. doesn't matter that we have fewer losses or, or they have more losses than we have more losses than they do. It matters that we look better. That's the one place where I kind of get into my feelings about this stuff because I tend to believe that the scoreboard matters. I tend to believe that if you win more than the other teams do, that you have earned the right to play for the national championship. However, that's not what moves the sport. What moves the sport is the number of people watching. And there will be more people watching a three-loss Alabama team than there would be an undefeated Cincinnati, right? And now that they have put the undefeated Cincinnati into the game against the maybe not as great Alabama team into the game and Alabama stomped a mud hole in them and walked dry, Nobody wants to see that happen again. Everybody wants to see a competitive game in the college football playoff. Everybody wants to see the home atmospheres be 85 to 110,000 deep. Everybody wants to have their best television experience and the biggest audience for each one of these games that they can have. And I understand that, and I'll get out of the way of it. But I am just going to say, once again, that when we're looking at the scoreboard, let's give credit to the folks that win football games while trying not to take credit away from the folks that played a tougher schedule, especially now that you're not going to get penalized as much for it for playing a tough schedule. All right. Now, let us talk to Alex Magoo ahead of the South Division Championship in the USFL. I'm pleased to be joined by Birmingham Stallions quarterback Alex Magoo. Alex, how you doing, man? Good, man. Good, RJ. How you doing? I'm good, brother. I'm looking forward to this game you're going to play against the Breakers on Sunday for the South Division Championship. But I want to start with your relationship with Coach Holtz, which we've got to see in real time thanks to this really cool technology that Fox uses when talking about and or broadcasting the USFL. But in between snaps, he's asking you what you like and how you feel about the plays, which is a conversation I'm sure you guys have before the game is going on. But what's it like for you to have a coach who is that interested in whether or not you feel good about what he's going to call? Yeah, that's a main, I think a main reason why I'm so confident. I feel like is because coach asked me, you know, all the time, Hey, what, what's, what's, what do you want here? You know, this is what they're doing. So like, what do you like against it? Or even if like, sometimes Jace is like, I'm beating this guy so bad on it, on, on an end. So I'm like, okay, I want this play because Jace is saying that he wants this. So I'm trusting Jason. These and it's just like he's he's playing to the players. And I think that it really just instills confidence in us. And it, it just makes us want to go out there and play even, even harder. I want to really zone in on that for a second because we saw a play call last weekend. I believe it was Cardinal. And he was telling you to go fast, right? And it yeah. was looking like a play that was drawn up for Jace. Or maybe it wasn't. And he was just that wide open. Is that an example of what you're talking about? Um. Yeah, that was uh, – so – yeah, because I watched the TV copy. So Cardinal is a is a tempo play that we usually don't huddle in. Okay. And so the the goal was to get them to think or 
to huddle and then we were going to go slow, but we were going to break the huddle as fast as we can to see if we can get them out of position or um, off guard. But the play was initially supposed to go to Davion. That's the first read. And he kind of got walled inside. And then my eyes go to the to the right and read the corner and the corner sank on CJ on a, on a swing. And that's why Jace was was wide open. I'm looking at a Birmingham Stallions team that has lost three games in two seasons, right? Is once again, the number one seed in the South division, if not the number one seed going into these two games to win it all. What has been the sauce for the Stallions to be so good and so dominant in this league for the first two years? I think it's camaraderie. I think it's the way that we play for each other. The offense plays for the defense, the defense plays for the offense. And everybody joins in and helps it gives a helping hand on special teams. And it's there's never a doubt, there's never a panic. Even in the last game, you know, we were down 14-3. And that game to some people you could say doesn't matter, you know, but it mattered to us because we didn't want to back into the playoffs. We don't want to go in there limping, you know. And I think right when the you know the defense gave up that that touchdown to make it 14 to three, we were like, we got you, don't worry about it. It's no problem. We're gonna go down and score, it's gonna be fine. And then late in the game, we have a turnover when it's tied game. The defense goes right back out there, gets a stop. And it's just like we we play for each other because we know that's what it takes to win. And the guys on this team, the leadership group, the coaches, like that's all they they preach that. And, and, and the fact that we had, you know, the season one where it was really, really good. And then the new guys just bought into what the the, the leaders were saying. And it's just it's just been really fun. It's, it's been a really good group to play with. And um it's enjoy, enjoyable. Coach Holtz put it to me this way uh, with this new group of guys coming in. It's, hey, guys, we're not teaching addition and subtraction this year. We're teaching multiplication and division. Yep. Okay, you're going to have to play catch up. But you have dudes all over that field, man. Like I look up, you got Thad Moss over there. You got Davion over there. You got Jay Sternberger over there, who many people forgot is an All-American at tight end at A&M. And he seemed to catch on pretty quickly. And when I asked Coach Holtz about that, he's like, well, he needs to talk back to his quarterback or give credit back to his quarterback because if Alex didn't teach him the offense, I probably don't get to play him because he's still out there learning on the fly. So knowing that you got a guy like that, how do you take your time and make sure that he's set up to win and he can come back to you with that positive feedback like, I am beating this man in front of me. Do throw me the ball. I'm going to make you look good. Yeah, so we, we roomed together in camp. So, you know, two and a half, three weeks of camp where, you know, we would sit up there at night and just talk. Like, we wouldn't even, like, draw anything necessarily. We'd just talk about, well, like, this is this, and why is it, how do you, how do you like, think about it? How does it make sense to you? Like, because we have a number system. So, like, he's like, okay, why does that mean this? And so I just kind of gave him all my tricks to the trade of why I remember what 26 is and how I differentiate 26 from 36. And it's just things like that that I, that I think really helped him. I wasn't a big help in the run game. That was all him. Um, but, um, he's done a really good job. He, he bought in from day one. Um, nothing was handed to him. He had to earn everything he's got. And, um, he really cared about it. And that's all you have to do. You have to just care about it and then you'll learn it because if you care about something, you're not going to go out there and, and mess up just because you don't know it. You know, you care too much about this game and, and the guys around you that you're going to make sure you learn it. And everyone's done that. Perhaps that's something that coach Holtz needed to show or need you to show because we're talking about you more or less split in time with Jamar Smith last year, even playing some wide receiver 
in the championship <laughs> game, which I still love. It's one of my favorite anecdotes about this league is we got a guy out here who so wants to be on the team and plays quarterback. He says, put me at a wide receiver. We need we we have a need. And you're out there and you're trying to make it happen. And then Jamar goes down and you get to take over the job in a very real way. But you also are given the role of leading the team. Right. And some of that is how you are associating with other players. But a lot of that is you making a bad play look good. And I want to get at that for a little bit. But I want to start by asking, what do you think Coach Holt saw when he said, I need to go get that guy because I saw him torch my team when I was at La Tech and I've seen him live. I feel like that's a good quarterback for us and go from there. I mean, whatever coach saw, I appreciate it. But um, I, I mean, I did play him in college a couple of times and I had, I had some good games. Um, they, their team beat us pretty bad both times. So we were having to throw the ball the whole game just to keep up with their offense. Um, so, and he says torch. I mean, I had like 270 yards against us. It's not like I had 400 each. Um, but what was the, what was your rest of the question? I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm asking, how do you know that he's going to allow you to freelance when you need to, like when the play breaks down, you're the best quarterback in the league. Knowing that that's what you got, you probably don't always want that guy to be running around as much as he does, but he trusts you to make those decisions. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he always just preaches, you know, go through the reads, trust the reads, trust the plays. And then he just says, do you? Sometimes you got to do something that I don't want you to do. Um, but I think it's, it's a time and place for it. You know, like sometimes where if I force it, if I force a run, if I force a scramble, you know, then I'm mad at myself because I, I try to be Superman sometimes. And that's what we talk about. Like, don't be Superman. Or he just has to say one word, Superman. And I know what he's talking about. And I just have to kind of slow my mind down um, and go through my reads. But but sometimes I look forward to somebody messing up, but then I <laughs> have to do something. But um, no, I just, I really have to just trust my guys, trust the line. They're, my line has done a, such, done a great, great job because sometimes they have to block for, you know, six, seven seconds and, and they just, they bust their tail. And I just, I can't say any, enough good words about them because most of the sacks I've had this year are on me because I'm trying to extend a play and, they're doing a really good job, especially the past two weeks. I think we have zero sacks in, in two games. So they're doing really good. Um, but, yeah, Coach just he, – he just tries to ring, you know, rail me, re, uh, reel me in a little bit. Like sometimes I'll, I'll pull the ball when I don't need to, and he, he gets mad at me. But um, other than that, I just kind of try to make plays when, when they're there. And you do. You do. And, again, that's one of the reasons why I, I think – the Stallions team has really come together is your ability at quarterback. But again, you had the opportunity to grow into the role. I might also add that if the head coach at Old Dominion while you were at FIU was the head coach for the Birmingham Stallions, he might have traded up to go get you because you went for 300, I want to say, in back-to-back yeah. games against them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah, he torched somebody way worse than that. Yeah, the Old Dominion. I think th two years in a row I had like over 300 against them. It's a team you like beating. It's a team you really like beating. Um <laughs> But also we're looking at you growing into this, right? You grew into that role at FIU and you've grown into this role as the starting quarterback and the, uh, the unquestioned leader of that Birmingham Stallions team. But is that the biggest difference for you in USFL play over the last two years? Or do you see the game getting slowing down for you as I continue to hear from most players that 
the caliber of player just went up a few notches, even in this season, and they expected to do it again. What's the biggest difference for you in the USFL this year? I would say, I mean, the competition is a lot higher. I think there's a lot of, a lot of great players in this league that are going to get a chance to play um, in the NFL again or come back with whatever they you know decide to do. But I really think it's, you know, we got the football sorted. Uh, we had a little issue with the footballs at the beginning of last year. We got those sorted the, the second year throwing them, the second year in systems. Um, they always help. And I just think that me being able to slow down my own self, as in the sense of my first reason out there past Alex probably would have ran. I would have tried to like use my athleticism to do something when I didn't need to. And this year I'm really, really trying to key in on going through my reads, making sure I'm seeing the defense before the, before the snap, confirming it post snap and going to where I have to go and letting my, letting my teammates work for me because I mean, they're, they're doing a really good job for me. And, um, I just got to let them work because, you know, they get paid to do what they, they do and I get paid to throw them, throw them the ball. So I got to let them earn their money somehow. Well, uh, before I let you go, I need to know what is it that you think you're going to see from New Orleans in this South Division Championship game on Big Fox at 7 Eastern on Sunday? Well, you know, New Orleans this is our third time playing them this year. And it's always a challenge playing them, playing a team three times a year just because, you know, they get certain things that they like or they they see that we do and then they're going to game plan at us. So I'm, third time's a little tricky just because you don't really know what to expect. Um, but they love, you know, they play a lot of man, 4-2 box, they play man. They got great corners. You know, their linebackers are very good, Diggs and Hernandez, Fernandez, excuse me, um, very good players. So we just got to we got to go out there and really just execute our own stuff. I think I think if you looked at our, our game films, we stop ourselves more than the defense stops us. Um, obviously, they 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 stopped us, you know. But if you just really look, we we seem to always hurt ourselves, and we got to stop doing that. And it starts with me, um, you know. I got to put the ball in uh, good good spots for the guys to catch it. And um, if I, I think if we can do that, um, we should be able to be in a really be in for a really good game. Well, I'm very excited about it. I will be at Protective Stadium covering that right. game. Game features, I think, the two best quarterbacks in the league you being one of them. Uh, good luck this Sunday and look forward to talking to you. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. My thanks once again to Alex Magoo for joining the show. And that is going to do it for us. Our lead producer is Tyler Wojak. That is Kiara Santana producing today. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our director is Dave Sable. Our leads of screening are Torn Westfall and Jack Coakley. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all next week.